But we, we want to go deeper in relationships. How many of you want to go deeper in relationships? How, just one. Thank you so much. Yeah, all right. So me and you, we're just going to talk right now, all right? And, uh, but we want to go deeper in relationships. We, we want to have, how many of you want to have more uh, relationships that are more fruitful and uh, more happy relationships? Let me see your hands. Now, not, okay, now I get it. You don't want to go deep, but you want to have happy relationships. I get that. I got you. I got you. One person wants to go deep. Everybody else wants to have happy relationships, right? Well, you can't have happy relationships unless you learn how to go deep in relationships. You can't have healthy relationships unless you go deep in your love for people. So deep relationships that require commitment. They require that we all know deep down in our hearts that relationships were never intended to be disposable. Deep relationships require intentionality. We need to be intentional about making sure that we get rid of the distractions in our life that keep us from these incredible relationships that God has blessed us with. Deep relationships require never holding on to offenses. Deep relationships require agape love, which means patience and kindness. Deep relationships require building strong families, strong families. This morning, though, I want to talk to you about the art of letting go, learning how to let go of certain things in our life that keep us from having great relationships. Now, several years ago, there was a movie by Adam Sandler, and he played Michael Newman, and the movie was called Click. How many of you have watched the movie? I haven't, I haven't watched the whole thing. Uh, I just kind of uh, fast-forwarded through it <laughs> just to get my sermon, right? So here, I want to I I actually give some people a remote control, all right? So uh, I, I want to give you a remote control because you're the only one who's listening to me anyway in this house, right? So now, I, here, here's what I want you to do with this remote control is if I get boring at any time, just fast forward me, all right? All right. And I want to give you a remote control because if I get offensive in any way, if I offend you, just go ahead and put the pause button on, all right? Now pause, all right? Um, but in the movie, Adam Sandler actually, uh, actually stumbles across a remote control that has super, super duper power. That allows him, listen to me, to control his personal universe and more than that, to control people in his life. So the remote control actually helps him. It allows him to skip over arguments. When he's having an argument with his wife, he just fast forwards. Or it helps him to skip over negative situations or mute people when he just doesn't want to hear them. Us men, we know how to do that without remote control. You know what I'm talking about, man. And the wives all said amen to that, right? And, and even fast forward to the best parts of his life. Pause on those best parts. In fact, I want you to take a, a look at this video clip real quick. It's short. So I talked to the kids. Oh, yeah. They're being very understanding about not going camping oh. this weekend. Great. Told them they could have a sleepover instead. That's a great idea. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being so cool about this, too. Yeah, can I ask you something? Yes. I mean, after you do all this work and become a big player at your company, mm -hmm. do you really think you're going to have any more time for us, or are things just going to get even more out of control? Wait, wait. When I get to that place and become a boss, a millionaire, a big shot, 
first thing I'm gonna do is hire a bunch of idiots just like me to do all my work. So then you, me, and the kids can do whatever we want. Just gotta give me some time. Don't give me that look. Just saying. Give me some support. Alright, I love you. Go to sleep. Just think about it, Michael. Absolutely. I think, the truth be known, I think all of us would like to have one of those special remote controls. This lady's really getting into it. She's like, where can I buy this? I want one now, right? So, so that we can stop people in their tracks, so that we can mute them, so that we can fast forward people, so that we can cut out people, places, and things that really get under our skin. But the truth is, there are many times, even though we don't have one of these things, there are many times when the truth is we try to control people. We, can, we try to control our own lives. Many times we even, listen to me, here's the truth, we try to control God. How many know that we actually try to control God? Now, I know that we know that we really can't, but we try to control God with our prayers. We try to control God, telling God when he's supposed to do what he's supposed to do in our life and how he's supposed to do it in our life, right? But worse than all of those things, and I guess the worst thing is trying to control God, but, but that we try to control people. And sometimes we don't even know that we're trying to control people. But the truth is, in subtle ways, we try to control people in our life, and we do it. And if we would be honest with ourselves, we do it a lot more than we really think. You know, if we're honest, some of us try to control people through our perfectionist attitudes and maybe just because we're a perfectionist. And so we tend to impose our very strict legalistic standards on everyone else well. If they would just serve God the way I serve God, if they would do things the way I do things, if they would just make sure that they keep things tidy and neat the way that I like them to be. Everyone and everything needs to be done through the lenses of excellence and the highest of quality. And if it doesn't meet our expectations, we push the pride button and we just kind of control people. The problem is that that so often in the way that we do things, in the way that we say things, we don't even realize that we're really controlling people. There's other people who try to control through intimidation. They intimidate by outbursts of anger or sarcasm or demands in which they try to control people. But of course, this always drives people further away and they may win the battle, but they lose the heart of a person. They push the anger button. Some of us try to control people through our own anxiety and worry. People who are filled with worry and they worry about everything in their life, they, they, they check and recheck things constantly and they create a, a safety net around them or a safe world around them and so often they want to pull other people into their anxiety and their fear and they push the panic button over and over and over and over again some people try to control people by holding on to hurt refusing to forgive people in order 
to be able to hold on to things so that they can hold on to them so that they can hold on to the past so that they control people and they push the bitter button they will not let go some people try to control people by constantly planning and establishing schedules and agendas and routines and events for themselves and for others they push the i'm in control of the calendar button does anybody know anybody that fits one of these categories don't turn to your neighbor right now your husband or your wife but how many of you if you were true to yourself true to god and you were honest you use these buttons every once in a while anybody let me see your hands am i talking to the right crowd here right the rest of you 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 need to go for counseling but if we're honest with ourselves, we really try to do these things in, in, in other people's lives. Now, notice what it says in James chapter 3 and 4. Listen to what it says. It says, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle, it is reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing. Not hot one day and cold the next day. Not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust relationship or community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Everybody say dignity and honor. Chapter 4 of James, that's what it says. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way. Everybody say, I love to get my own way. Come on, let, let's just do some confessing right now. I love to get my own way. How many of you like to get your own way? Let me see your hands. Yeah, yeah we do. We like our own way. That's just innate in all of us. It, it comes with the sinful nature. It started in the garden. Amen. When the enemy came to Eve and said, listen, God knows if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him. He was appealing to her pride. And God knows that if you eat of that tree, not only will you be like him, but you'll be a God and you'll be able to get your own way. James says the source of quarreling, the source of disagreements, the source of wars is really raging on the inside of who we are. It's found in every one of us. When we think about why we want to fight with somebody, often it's because we really want our own way. Listen to what it says. He says, they come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourself. So the truth of the matter is, is that so often the war is not with the other person. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. The war is really not with the other person. The war is with yourself. The war is deep on the inside because there are issues in all of our lives. James tells us that we try to control other people because we have deep-rooted pride. Pride is deeply rooted in our life. We have insecurities. We have hurts. We have anger. We have selfishness in our life. And the only way we're really going to learn how to get along with people and be at peace with people is to deal with the issues that are deeply embedded in our life. Root issues that are in our life. Feelings of inadequacy, feelings of pain from our past, or feelings of fear and insecurity and pride. And the truth is, 
Our pride creates control issues. Our insecurities create control issues. Our hurts, our fears, our insecurities create control issues in our life. But this morning, we're going to learn how to let go. How many of you want to let go? We're going to learn today how to let go of some issues in our life. We're going to turn the remote control over to God. And we're going to give up control of our lives so that we won't control other people. Jesus tells us that we deeply need to let go. In the scriptures, we find that Jesus tells us that if we want to be his disciple, we're going to have to let go of our own life. We're going to have to let go of issues that help us or create situations in our life whereby we want to control other people. We're going to have to let go of our very life and we're going to have to actually embrace the cross and the cross, listen to me, is a place of letting go. It's a place of letting go of ourself. It's a place where we die to ourselves. Now, Paul the Apostle said, in order for me to be effective in relationship, in order for me to be effective in loving God, in order for me to be effective as a disciple of Christ, I need to learn how to die daily every day. Dying daily every day is letting go. It's letting go of our own pride. It's letting go of our own dreams in our life so that we can embrace the dreams of God in our life. I know everybody has dreams. And what we need to do with our dreams is bring it to the foot of the cross and say, God, I'd rather have your dreams than my dreams because you dream a lot bigger than I dream for myself. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. God loves us with an everlasting love. And so he knows what's best for us. As the Bible says, I know the plans that I have for you. And so we all have to learn how to take our dreams. We all have to take our expectations. We all have to take our inner wars to the foot of the cross and die to ourselves. That's letting go. You see, the real issue in our life is a control issue. Listen to me. This is very important. You and I will never build strong, deep, healthy relationships in our life until we learn how to resolve the control issues in our life. We need to assess where we really are when it comes to controlling people, the, feel, the feeling that we have, the need to control people. And as long as we try to control anything in our life, as long as we try to control our own life, as long as we try to control our own destiny, as long as we try to control other people, and as long as we try to control God, we're never going to build deep relationships with God or with others. So this morning, we're going to discover a few things that we need to really let go of. Some baggage that we carry in our life. Now, all of us in this room, when we got married, if we're married, or if we entered into any kind of relationship, whether it's a working relationship, family, whatever it is, we brought baggage into the relationship. How many know that you got some baggage? Yeah, the rest of you will see you after for the support group. <laughs> that we all bring baggage into our relationships. And as a result of that, it weighs the relationship down. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 says that if we're going to run swiftly, if we're going to run efficiently, if we're going to run with joy, then we're going to have to let go of some baggage in our life. And so I want to pray right now. I want to ask the Holy Spirit.
to begin to speak to you. And maybe there's an area, maybe there's several areas that you know, man, this is God's pointing his finger on this area of my life. And I'm never going to have healthy relationships in my life unless I let go. Today, at the end of the service, we're going to do some letting go. Are you ready? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help us to let go. God, all of us in this room have some issues that we've got to address in our life because we're human. Because every one of us in this room are not perfect. We're far from perfect. And we carry into our human life baggage. And Father, I ask today that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would make it real to us. And God, whatever area of our life, God, whether it's pride or insecurity, Whatever it is, Father, I ask that you would just right now, with your loving, merciful hand, begin to minister. Reach deep into our heart, God, and do the surgery that needs to happen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first thing, and we talked a little bit about it, but the first thing we need to let go is control of our lives. You see, the moment we invite Jesus Christ to be Savior of our life, we also invite Jesus to be Lord of our life. Now, I know that Savior is very attractive. I need a Savior. I need somebody to save me out of my mess. How many of you know that you're a pretty big mess? <laughs> yeah, now those are less hands that went up. When we come to God, we're a mess. And God begins to put us back together. And we cry out for God's mercy. We cry out for God's salvation in our life. We recognize that our sin has caused a big mess in our life. And we cry out for a Savior, and he comes. And we embrace the Savior, but so often we don't want to embrace the Lord. Because Savior is one thing. Savior is saving you out of your mess. Lord is saying, now I'm in charge. And the truth is, we don't want God to be in charge. We just want God to bless us. Come on, somebody. I'm getting the meddling now. Come on. We want God to save us when we need the saving, but we don't want God to lead us when we need the leading because we still think that we can do it better than God. But the truth is, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And so when you got saved, when you gave your life to Jesus, when he saved you from your sin, you handed the remote control to God. How many of you are ready to hand over the remote control? I know some of you men have a hard time doing that when the football game's on. Go Giants. I let go of the Mets. I let the Jets. Listen to me. I got delivered. I let go. I'm going to tell you something. I had been bound to the Jets since I was a child. But I had a deliverance service last week. I got on my knees and said, they're so bad. Lord, I'm sick and tired. Of, I'm sick and tired of going after a team that's so bad. I'm giving them up. I'm coming to blue. So I got rid of you. So I've been set free. I'm free from the Jets, glory to God. And I've been free from the Mets for a lot longer. No, I'm just kidding. The truth is most people don't mind having a savior, but when it comes to the Lord, they have a hard time letting go. But Jesus tells us that we're not our own. Paul the apostle says that we've been bought with a price. 
That when Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his blood, he was paying for you and redeeming you so that now you might be his own. So we got to get out of the driver's seat and let Jesus drive. What area of your life today are you still driving? Let me say that again. Let me ask you that again. What area of your life are you still driving that you still want to have control over? See, Paul the Apostle says that we're to do everything in our life for one reason. Everything in our life for one reason. For the glory of God. Not for the glory of Steve. Not for the glory of Mike. But for the glory of God. So therefore, every decision that you make in relationship, every decision that you make in your life, you should always ask the question, does this glorify God? I mean, can you imagine if you were to live your relationships with the understanding that everything you do should glorify God. So if you're about to say something about someone that is gossip, you need to ask yourself the question, is this glorifying God? No. Put on the mute button and keep your mouth shut. Is this hurt? Is this bitterness that I'm holding on to? Will it ultimately bring glory to God? No. Then fast forward, get on your knees and say, God, I'm coming back to the altar and asking you to forgive me of my bitterness towards that person. Everything in our life is for the glory of God. Everything that we do. Wow. Can you imagine if we put the filter on everything we did, we put the filter on. This is for the glory of God. So every decision that we make in relationships then would be through the filter of does this glorify God? When I'm dating somebody, when I want to date somebody because, man, I'm really attracted to them, will this relationship ultimately turn out to be a one flesh relationship whereby my husband and my wife we live for one reason to glorify God oh but I love the guy I love the girl I'm in love will this person bring you closer to God or further from God will this person assist you in your life of glorifying God listen to me it's easy when it comes to making a decision who to date who, who to have a relationship who to marry is the person equally yoked with you? What does that mean? Does the person love God as much as you love God? Does the person love God more than you love God? Will the person help you to glorify God? That's so important. See, the Bible tells us that we're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not to lean on our own understanding. I had such a cool, cool um, opportunity uh, just on Friday. I met a young man for, for, for coffee at Starbucks, you know, we went and mortgaged our house to get a, a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And, and, uh, and I was telling this young man, you know, he was talking about his life. And he was talking about the decisions that he had to make in his life. And he was talking about dating and he was talking about school and his future. And so I, I, I said to him, I said, you know, there's a great scripture in the Bible. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and you'll, he'll make your path straight. He goes, I know that scripture. And he pulled up his shirt and he had a big cross with Proverbs 3, uh, five, uh, five, 3, 5, and 6. And so he tattooed it on his back. He said, my mother tells me that all the time. And so I just figured I'd tattoo it right on my back. I said, <laughs> I said, way to go, way to go. Way to go. And listen, I really don't like tattoos, but if you're going to get one, get one of a scripture so that every time you take your shirt off, you'll be remembering. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Trust in God. So when your life is under the control and the lordship of Christ, you don't have to try to control other people because you know he's in control. Somebody say amen. amen. If, if your life is really under the lordship of Christ, the truth is then you cannot control your life because he controls your life. You cannot control other people's lives because, listen, it'll never work. Why? Because he controls their life. So you might try to control them, but it's never going to work. Give up. Push, push the pause button. Push the stop button. Take, the, take it out. Why? Because the truth of the matter is, is that you'll never be able to control another person because they are under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is going to finish the work he started in them. Somebody say amen. Number two to write this down take out your smartphones and you know and go ahead and go on social media and put this down this is so important deep relationships are built when we let go of unrealistic expectations deep relationships are built when we let go of unrealistic expectations listen to me we all have expectations in our life you know, so I was kind of checking out internet. What does it say? And I was looking for images on that. And I saw an image and it says, no expectations, no disappointment. And I said to myself, I don't agree with that whatsoever. Because the truth of the matter is, is you have to have some expectations in your life. You know what expectation is? It's faith. Faith is being sure. It's being positive of the things you hope for. It's being certain of the things that you know to be true that God's word says in the word about what your future should look like. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to have all the answers to, and, and the picture of everything that your life looks like. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you read the word and you know what the word of God says, then you know what your future is going to look like. Hey, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me, believe, believe in God, believe also me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going away to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might be also. Listen, you have a great, bright future. Somebody say amen. And so we have great expectations in our life. We live with those great expectations. We expect that God is going to bless our life. How many of you expect that God's going to bless your life? We expect that God's going to work out all things for our good and for his glory. Somebody say, yes, I believe that. We expect that God's never going to leave us nor forsake us. We expect that when we die, we're going to go to heaven. Somebody say amen. We have great expectations in our life, and I'm not going to let go of those expectations. But listen to me. We also carry unrealistic expectations of other people. And that always gets us in trouble, you know. I got married when I was 20 years old. My wife and I have been married for 33 years. Now you do the math, all right? You say, I can't believe it. And, and I remember when, before we got married, I had certain expectations, and my wife had certain expectations. I expected that I'd go to work and, you know, and I, I'd do the work, and she'd cook me a nice dinner, you know, really good dinner, and, you know, and, and she would greet me at the door in her negligee, you know. Come on, somebody. And there would be candles on the table. And we'd have dinner. And then I'm going to have to push the fast forward on this one. You can't know about the rest of that. 
<laughs> I had expectations. And she had expectations, huh? She had expectations. When I got home, I was in full of paint all over the place. And, you know, and I wouldn't mess up the carpet walking into the house with paint on my shoes. And she had expectations that I would pay attention to her and I would listen to her. And, you know, I, she had expectations that I would understand her emotionally. She had a lot of expectations in her life. I had a lot of expectations in my life. And, man, it converged and we got married. We lived in a small apartment and her father lived with us for six months. He slept on the couch and I didn't come home and we didn't have this great dinner where she walked uh, to the door with a negligee on, you know, and we went to bed and she had three, three, three pajamas, sets of pajamas on every night. And Pop was in the other room. <laughs> wow. Blow my mind. Hallelujah. Hold on. It's going to get better. Hallelujah. It's going to get better. It's got to get better. Can't get any worse. And you know, it, it really, I want to be honest with you. I want to I tell you something. It could have destroyed our marriage. She wasn't expecting that. I was expecting her to behave a little different. She was expecting me to certainly behave a whole lot different. And I, I had to then learn that there are certain things that I can't change. And certainly I can't change her. Because I've been trying for 33 years. <laughs> and she's been trying to change me. No, we, we learned a long time ago, very long time ago, that we can't change each other. That only God can change us. And only I can change myself. And I want to give you a newsflash. For those that are here, maybe you're young and maybe you're thinking about getting married, or maybe you're dating somebody, and that person really you know isn't a fit for you, but so for whatever reason, you're stuck to that person because you really honestly believe when we get married, he's going to change. He won't. He won't. Or she's going to change. You know, or your missionary dating. You know what missionary dating is, right? Well, he's not a Christian. She's not a Christian, but when we get married, he's going to change. You want to take that chance? I don't think so. So it's so important to line up your values before you get into a relationship, to understand what you value in your life so that you don't get in a situation where you, you're bound to somebody that really doesn't carry your same values. But unrealistic expectations is a recipe for relational disaster. So what are the five biggest unrealistic expectations? Someone else can make me happy all the time. That's an incredibly unrealistic expectation. That I'm, I'm going into this relationship believing that my husband is going to make me happy all the time. The truth is, he makes you happy some of the times. Sometimes, not very often. I'm going into this relationship because I think she can make me happy. She is the key to my happiness he's the key to my happiness but the truth of the matter is is only God can actually make us happy only God can give us joy because let me tell you the beauty is going to fade the good looks are gonna fade you're gonna go through 
big trials in your life. Circumstances that are going to bring you down. And the only thing that's going to be your rock in your life is the joy that comes deep down on the inside through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Somebody say amen. The next expectation is people will do and be what I want them to do and be. People will do. And, and, and we, don't, we don't say it outwardly, but inwardly, subconsciously, subtly, we really actually want people to do and be what we want them to do and be. Expectation number three, people will change the way you want them to change in the time that you want them to change. I remember when we first got married, you know, we went to Bible college together, you know, and, and I wanted my wife to do certain things. I wanted her to change in a certain way. I wanted her to be more like a future pastor's wife. And I was trying to put a mold on her. I was trying to make her something because I wanted people to see she was a future pastor's wife. And the Lord rebuked me. And the Lord said, I have created her in a certain way with certain talents and abilities. And the more you try to force her into your mold, the less she's going to be everything that I created her to be. And today I thank God and embrace And I remember going to my wife. I remember her saying, Steve, I don't fit that, that mold of, you know, pastor's wives. You know, they teach and they sing or they play the piano. I said, honey, God showed me. He revealed to me that all he wants you to do is be yourself, be my wife, be my children's mother, and be, do the gifts the, and use the gifts that God has given you in the kingdom of God. And boy, oh boy, I'm so glad that I didn't try to put her in that mold. Somebody say amen. Because she's so gifted in the area that God has called her. She's organized, and my ministry would not be organized if it weren't for my wife, Lisa. Amen. Number four, you will never be really hurt in your life. That's an unrealistic expectation. Get ready. You will be hurt. I know some people dodge hurt. Avoid getting hurt in relationships. But you will be hurt in a relationship. Get ready. Brace yourself. Your husband's going to hurt you. Brace yourself. Your wife, your pastor is going to disappoint you. Your pastor is going to hurt you. You're not going to always agree with your pastor. Get ready. Brace yourself because you're going to be hurt because God is going to use that to make you into the person that God wants you to be. Unrealistic expectation. You'll never be really disappointed in your life. Get ready. You're going to be disappointed in your life. God will disappoint you. Sometimes God won't make sense in your life. Sometimes you will find that you will be so disappointed in people in your life. And sixthly, that you can control everything that happens in your life. The truth is you cannot control everything that happens in your life. So how do you deal with expectations? Simple. Stop trying to change people. Accept people for who they are. The sooner you learn how to accept people for who they are, the sooner you'll be able to get along with them because you won't try to change them. People don't want other people to try to change them. Decide what your core values are before you get in a relationship. Let God do what he needs to do in their lives. Here's what I have found. The best thing you can do for the person that you love is to pray for them. 
the best thing you could do every single day. You know what I do every morning? Every single morning. I don't let a morning go by where I don't get up in the morning. And the first thing I do is thank God for his faithfulness in my life. And then I go down the list and I say, thank God for my wife. And I begin to thank God, praise God for every single day. I thank God for my wife. Because here's what I have found. You can't hate somebody that you're thankful for. You can't be disappointed with somebody that you're constantly being thankful for. Amen. So I have a long list of the things that I'm so thankful for in my wife. And I, and I remind God every day and I remind myself of how thankful I am for my wife. And then for my kids, I go down the list. So I stop trying to change them and I start starting to thank God. And then I pray for them. You can't hate somebody that you pray for. How many of you in this room, you're going to make a commitment to pray for the people you love the most? Let me see your hands. I mean, every day you're going to pray. Number three, if you're going to go deep in relationships, then you're going to have to let go of past hurts. I'm reminded of the story of Joseph in the Bible. Joseph's story is a powerful, powerful story. God shows Joseph that one day Joseph is going to do great things and, and he goes and tells his brothers all that God was going to do and it includes his brothers bowing down before him and I don't think that was the right time to tell his brothers that. But he did. And I think Joseph was lifted up with some pride when he, when he told him that. He, brought, he, he, he put on his, you know what he had, his father played favorites with him. And so his father gave him a beautiful, unbelievable, unbelievable Yankee jacket. And his brothers were Met fans. And that was the problem. There was always a jealousy between the Met fans and the Yankee fan. Because the Yankee fan had 27 rings on his finger. And the, and the Mets only had a few, you know. So they were having a hard time with this whole thing. <laughs> so, 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 so Joseph would come out every day with his Yankee jacket on and remind them that, they had, that the Yankees had 27 rings. Hey, listen. Two nights ago, I was sitting right near Joe Girardi. I met Joe Girardi. He asked me for my autograph. I said, pal, I'm off right now. You can't have my autograph. <laughs> if you want to see it, I have a picture right here. But the Bible says that Joseph was shown by God that he would do some great things in his life. And his brothers got so jealous that they took Joseph. You know the story. They threw him in a pit. And then they started, the brothers started saying, you know, we shouldn't leave him here in the pit. Let's sell him to, to, to these guys that are going to Egypt. And so they sold him. And now he's in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife really likes him and tries to sleep with him. But he, he runs naked as a jaybird and leaves his Yankee jacket on the table there. And Potiphar knew it was his Yankee jacket because he wore it every day to work to remind Potiphar that the Yankees had 27 rings. And... Uh, and so his wife now accuses Joseph of trying to rape him. And Joseph's now in prison. And he spends a good amount of time in prison. And then uh, Joseph sees a vision. He gets released from prison. You know the story. I'm kind of fast forward. I'm giving you the, the Reader's Digest version. And the Bible says that now Joseph is second to Pharaoh through a, an unbelievable journey of faith, trials, pain, suffering, remembering can you imagine the pain 
that Joseph was under? Can you imagine the times in which Joseph is in that prison thinking to himself, if my brothers would have not thrown me in the pit and sold me, I wouldn't be in this prison. Can you imagine the temptation to allow bitterness to grab his soul and choke out the very life of God from him? Could you imagine the deep pain that Joseph is in? I'm talking about being in a dungeon, dark dungeon. But if there was one thing that Joseph did is he made sure that he guarded his heart from hurts because Joseph knew that if I allow bitterness and unforgiveness to grab a hold of my life and my heart, it will choke the very essence of God out of me because God is forgiveness, God is love. And so Joseph, I suppose every night needed to bring it back to God. And listen, there are some hurts in our lives that are so deep that we need to bring it back to God almost every day and say, God, I forgive. Heal me, Lord, until the healing process begins to happen in our life. Forgiveness is not easy. How many of you, you've been hurt in your life? Forgiveness is not easy. And I can tell you, just, just forgive. Let it go. And, and the truth is, you, you, you need to bring it to the foot of the cross, and you need to make a decision to forgive and let it go. But the process of healing takes time in our life. So we can forgive and at the same time allow God to begin the healing process in our life, which may take a while to bring it back to the foot of the cross, bring it back to the foot of the cross. But notice, if Joseph was ever going to get to the next level of deep relationship in his life, he had to make a decision that when he encountered, confronted the people that hurt him the most, that he would do the right thing. Notice the pain that Joseph's in. If you know anything about the story, and if you don't, read Genesis and you'll see it's an incredible story of how Joseph works through pain in his life. And it's not easy. It's not like jo Joseph just says, I forgive you guys. But notice what happens. Now he's second to Pharaoh. And, and through an act of God, God allows now his brothers to come to Egypt because there's a famine in the land where they live. And now they've got to face Joseph, but they don't recognize it's Joseph. And at that very moment, Joseph has a decision to make. Do I vent all of my anger on my brothers? Do I get even with them? Or do I work through it? Now notice, he doesn't just instantly say, hey you in prison a long time ago hey guys it's okay no matter what you did to me I'm fine with it I love you no notice what he does he kind of plays with them a little toys with them a little bit and and he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna get you I'm gonna get you back a little bit notice what he does back and forth for a while but he works through it. you know his in his humanness he works through it and so, you know, the story is, is that they come and he puts a couple of his brothers in prison, sends the rest back. They go back to the father and he tells them, but when you come back, you better bring Benjamin back with you. No, 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 no. We can't do that. Our father has already lost too much. No, no. You come back with Benjamin. And they come back the second time. And now they're having a meal together. And notice what Joseph does. The Bible says that Joseph is so broken over this. It's not easy. Forgiveness is not easy. 
He's so broken over this that he has to leave the room and he goes into another room and he starts weeping and wailing. And I suppose when he's weeping and he's wailing, he's probably saying, God, I can't do this on my own, God. God, I can't forgive them on my own in my humanness, Lord. I want them to suffer, God, pain. I want them to feel what I felt. I want them to be thrown in prison as long as I was in prison. I want them to learn the lesson. Then he hears this small voice. But Joseph, if you want to be like me, Joseph, the Lord is slow to anger. The Lord abounds in grace and mercy. Joseph, there will be times in the lives of my people where they will play the harlot, turn their back on me over and over and over and over and over again, and yet I will always forgive them. I will always be merciful to them. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is abounding in grace. Joseph, don't let bitterness make you do the wrong thing in your life. Do the right thing, and I'll meet you there. I'll meet you at the point of making that decision to let them go. And I suppose Joseph got up and said, okay, God, I can't do it on my own. I'm going to take one step at a time. And as he, he, as he walked towards the banquet hall, get ready to reveal himself to his brothers he said god if you don't go with me i can't do this and when he got there the holy spirit was there to give him the power and the strength and the grace to say it's me joseph and what you meant for my harm god has turned it out for listen to me you're good i'm already good (laughs) Could you imagine the love that Joseph had in his heart? It wasn't about him anymore. He was doing good. He was second to Pharaoh. But he said, listen, all that this has happened in our lives is because God was about to do something right now to save my whole family from disaster. What you meant for my heart, God turned it around. For my pain and suffering, God turned it around for your good. And I just want to tell you, that if you're going to go deeper in relationships, then today it's time to say, God, I'm willing to let go of that hurt, that hurt. We hurt bad. We're human. But I promise you this one thing. If you bring that hurt to the cross today, God will take your hurt and begin to heal your hurt. And give you the strength and the grace that you didn't think you could have. Because with man it is impossible. But with God all things are possible. And it's not by might. And it's not by power. But it's by his spirit, says the Lord. As the worship team comes, I want to challenge you to let go of one other thing before we close for the morning. The last thing I want you to let go of is past failures. Past failures. You see, the truth is that we've got to let go of guilt and failed relationships. Because we fail in a lot of ways in our life. But I think the greatest, most painful failure that we experience in our life is not when we lose a house. So what? We lost the house. 
Not when we lose money. It's only money. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, it's only money. So you better give better in the offering next week. But I want to suggest to you the greatest sense of guilt and failure and pain comes when we fail in a relationship. And I want to just be sensitive as the Holy Spirit, you know, was working on me yesterday, just kind of help me, helping me to understand the direction that I needed to close this service in. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, Pastor Steve, you so often talk about marriage. You talk about your marriage, which is nowhere near perfect. But you talk a lot about being married for 33 years, and you talk a lot about the covenant of marriage, and you talk about being faithful. But the truth is there are some people in this room that have gone through failed marriages, failed relationships. You failed someone or they failed you. And as a result, there is a, a side of you that carries guilt over the past. And let me tell you that one of the greatest weapons that the enemy will use against you is guilt. Guilt. Guilt from any kind of failure. But I believe greatest guilt in the failure of a failed relationship. But if you're going to be able to get past and go deeper in the relationship, you're going to have to forgive yourself for yesterday. Because you see, we do a lot of things out of guilt. And we don't do things that we should do because we feel like, well, if I failed before, why should I try again? I was speaking to a young man this week and he said, Pastor Steve, I'm afraid to get married. I'm afraid. Because I look around, I look at my, I look at this world and I look at Christians and I look at so many people that are getting divorced. I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm going to fail. And I looked at that young man and I said, you know what, young man? The truth of the matter is, is that every one of us in this room, every one of us are failures without his grace one day at a time. One day at a time. And there's no one better than another person in this room. You see, any failure can paralyze us. But it's a relational failure that paralyzes us relationally. We say, I don't want to hurt again. So we just close our hearts and we never let anyone back in. We live with so much guilt over a failed relationship that we're paralyzed by our guilt. I think one of the greatest illustrations of that is found in, in the scriptures when, when Jesus spends three and a half years with Peter. And he pours into Peter's life. He takes Peter to places that no one else has been. The other disciples, the other nine disciples, were not privy to go to the mountain except for Peter, James, and John. So, so Jesus brings Peter into his very, very deep, intimate moments of his life. He brings Peter to the mountain. He shows Peter who he really is. 
He brings Peter into the garden. While some of the disciples are at a distance, Peter is close to Jesus. Jesus pours out his heart to Peter for three and a half years. I was just listening this morning to the book of John. And, and Jesus now is, is about to be crucified. And Peter says, Jesus, I will never deny you. I'll, I'll be with you. I'll, I'll, I'll stand with you. I'll be faithful to you. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. In sickness and health, I'm going all the way with you, no matter where you go, Jesus. Now, it's not a marriage, but it's a partnership. It's a love relationship between two men, pure, holy relationship. And Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny, you're, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And, and Peter's so sure he's not going to do it. But it happens. And Peter denies Christ. And the Bible says that Peter wept bitterly. Bitterly. Now let me tell you another story. There was another disciple. And he was always looking to take advantage of Jesus. His name was Judas. And the Bible says on that same night, Judas betrayed Jesus. Two of his disciples two very different outcomes Peter denies Jesus but Peter weeps bitterly and works through the guilt and pain Judas he hangs himself he chokes out his very life because of guilt and condemnation but the Bible says there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because what the law was powerless to do, Christ did on the cross for us. So I'm here to tell you that you can take the way of Judas and choke the very life of God out of you by holding on to that bitterness, thinking there's no way out, thinking you don't want any way out. Of this failure because you just want to keep on beating yourself up or you can do what Peter did come to the foot of the cross and leave your failure at the foot of the cross and say God thank you that you're giving me one more opportunity to take my failure to the cross and leave it at the cross the Bible says as far as the East is from the West so Christ so God has removed your sin from you never to remember it again throwing it in the sea of forgetfulness if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness i want you to bow your heads right now